0: Welcome back to the Friday podcast and open championship week. This week's podcast and open coverage is brought to you by our friends at greater than greater than is the healthiest sports drink on the market and delivers two times the electrolytes with half the sugars of their leading competition. It's my favorite sports drink to have while on or off the course. Check out Greater Than at DrinkGT.com and use the promo code THEFRIEDEGG with no spaces to get 20% off your first order. The easiest way to get Greater Than and the way I get it is to sign up for their subscription service. It gets delivered monthly and if you sign up this week, you will get a free fried egg hat with your subscription. That's DrinkGT.com and without any further delay, here's our open preview with Sean Martin and Brendan Porath.
1: The fried egg requires a different technique. What you need to do is actually square the face so it'll dig down underneath that bad lie and propel that ball right out onto the green. Here's the thing, playing out of a buried lie in a bunker is completely different than playing out of a nice, clean lie in a green side bunker. You need to be
2: aggressive on any shot, whether it's sitting cleanly or it's a, a fried egg. Well, we've all faced it, the dreaded fried egg. Not to be feared, though, it's actually a pretty easy shot to
1: hit.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today I am joined by Brendan Porath of SB Nation and Sean Martin of the PGA Tour to break down this week's Open Championship. Welcome on, guys.
1: Andy, am i having us back
2: am i your first international guest in friday history
0: yeah sean martin coming from live on the grounds uh but all right. but no we've had international guests we've had mike clayton from australia um all right that's, um, that's richie ram cool. richie ramsey from from scotland yeah so
1: n- nice of you to be able to get out of a, an airport terminal for this one sean
0: <laughs> I'm i may-
1: the
2: yeah you know happy to fit you in uh I've been here for nine days, so I'm, I'm well. In Scottish life. Ask me anything.
0: So uh, yeah, you're uh, you're respecting audio. You know, this is this is a rare appearance for you, not in a either a media center or airport.
2: Yeah, I hate the sound of my own voice, so I haven't listened back to the Shinnecock one, but I definitely kind of want to just to hear what that that
1: airport sounded like in that podcast. Yeah. Oh psychotic thing people listen to the podcasts they're on or video i, I don't know how people do it yeah you have to have a, be psychotic
0: so uh sean how uh is it as uh, baked out as everybody's saying what to give us some reporting from the ground what what can you tell us it is
2: and we got some little sprinkles this morning so i think and tiger kind of talked about that we're we're not quite at the point where we were there was talk of like dj driving it into the burn on 18 which is 450 yards but you're still you're getting guys talking about hitting three yards 330 i mean it's rolling out forever. i mean it's gonna be the story of this open and there should be uh if you're having your open bingo or open drinking game i think Hoylake or liverpool definitely has to feature prominently on the board because there's gonna be tons of comparisons to that a lot of hope for people who want to see tiger win that, that he can kind of repeat that performance. Um, and so there are a lot of similarities there. I think that you're gonna see a lot of irons off the tees. You might see guys not hit driver at all for the week. Um, it definitely, a lot depends on the wind too. I was sharing the train home with a a caddy. Uh, and he was talking about how downwind the ball just, it does launch once it hits the fairway. But really if you're into even a little bit of wind, it really holds it up pretty well and it doesn't roll nearly as much. And, um, I don't have my exact wind gauge on me, but I feel like walking around some days in the morning and the afternoon, the wind does switch enough where holes can play downwind in the morning and into wind in the afternoon. So it just there's a lot of variables of play as there always are at the Open Championship, and I think that's definitely going to be part of it uh, this week.
0: Yeah, the weather looks pretty good for the week. So it doesn't, I I mean, from what I've seen, it doesn't look like there's going to be one of those crazy Open Championship days yet but um with you know pretty good weather conditions it it, you might escape that possibility of one side of a draw getting like an un unbelievably huge advantage over the other side
2: yeah we don't have a lot of wind in the forecast i think like 15 miles an hour is the most and then friday a little like occasional rain as they put it in the mornings about the extent of the rain so it's gonna be good for ice cream sales it's gonna be good for equity of the draw so it should be a a pretty good well-rounded open championship
0: so brendan what what are you uh what are you watching for do you have any uh random facts you remember from the last time they opened was at Carnoustie? also
1: huh i don't know i'm trying to think you want like random drama or random beefs (laughs) i i think the the thing i loved most about the last time at Carnoustie was rory's outfit you know I, i go to the scripting but he was you know, <clears throat> amateur at the time. He's doing the uh, the deep V neck button up cardigan. You know, with the floppy hair. It's just interesting to think about how far we've come in in only eleven years and now he's he's kinda the ripped guy in the the, the uh Nike blade collars and the assortment of uh, athletic gear. That that but, was yeah.
0: your favorite version of Rory, Fat Rory.
1: Yeah, it was like he was like Pudgy Rory. Kind of on his way out of fat Rory, really a nice medium, happy medium there. So, hadn't quite, hadn't quite, you know, he hadn't turned pro yet and made the money to kind of plump up, you know. It was just kind of innocent pudgy amateur Rory.
0: So, he, uh, while we're talking about Rory, what do you guys uh, think? Do you think he's got uh, got majors in him? I mean, is the putter that big of a problem?
2: I don't know, man. I still have. A little bit of joy. Shinnecock was so jarring. I mean, he was out. The US Open was basically over for him at like 10 a.m. Thursday. Uh, we were all riding that high of he wins at Bay Hill and he plays the final group at the Masters, and obviously a very heartbreaking loss, but uh, had played well for the most part. And then just comes out at Shinnecock, and it's just—I mean, what was he nine over after nine, ten over after ten? It was—it was jarring. And I, you know, I mean, the Rory story is always: oh, he plays well in soft conditions. Uh, and I just feel like that exacerbated that storyline because it was firm, it was fast, and uh, it was a very early ejection that I just, I can't recover from it yet, and I I can't quite take him this
0: week. His his putter at, at Travelers now two years in a row has been insane, how, how poor it has been. I, it must be something about those greens because, like, what was it, last year he went through three putter changes in a week, and then this year he was – I think seventy second in strokes gained putting for the week, and you know he's by far like I think he was three shots clear of the next person in strokes gained tee to green. So, I, I don't know. It's a, it's just a matter. Of everything kind of coming together. But if if he puts field average, he's going to be in the top five. You know. Yep. It's just getting him to put field ha- average.
1: Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I guess my discussion of his sweater brought us here. But, yeah, I just think he's kind of a, uh, I don't know, not not a bit player. He never is. But he's just like a part of the crowd this week, I would say. I, I'm not like, I think, you know, obviously there's always, he's one of the top ten players in the world. There's always the uh, potential for him to contend. I just, I, I don't know that he's putting well enough. He seems like he's working through a lot of different things and trying to go back to a, there's like more natural Swain he talks about in 09, you know, fat Rory Swain. You know, things aren't always bad when you when got some extra weight on you. So, uh, yeah, it, it seems like he's just kind of trying to figure out some things. So I think he's just kind of part of a larger group that's worth talking, maybe, maybe not sticking out as much as he does at, you know, the Masters where we have that natural storyline we always want to talk about and, and some of the others.
0: What uh, storyline are you guys watching? Like, What, what storyline are you buying most this week? Which is your favorite one?
1: Go ahead, Sean.
2: Uh, Non-Hideki division? Uh, I I do love that, that Hideki Tiger-Ru-Knox pairing. Uh, I'm all in on Russell Knox. The last Scottish win in the Open came at Carnoustie in 1999. Two of the last three Scottish winners Or a Carnoustie. I just think a guy who is playing very well, he's on a good run of form, uh, he hits it dead straight, and the course is going to play short. I just uh, have high hopes for for Rue Knox. I know it's not like one of the major storylines we're getting pretty off topic here. We're going to start talking about probably the Eastern Amateur next or something. But I'm in on that. And then I think I'm in on Brooks. I think, I mean, Shinnecock was firm and fast. And I think winning at Shinnecock, I don't know that Brooks ever doubted his ability is full of confidence but I think winning at Shinnecock I think showed all of us a lot and I would think showed him a lot too that I mean he already knew he could play majors it's now 11 straight majors where 21st or better but I mean I feel like if it's really firm really fast we saw what Brooks did at Shinnecock I think it's gonna be all about iron play and I think you know I think Brooks is a name to watch and if he did that'd be three majors
0: I, I feel like the firm conditions might mitigate distance a little and the distance yep. advantage. I think um, you'll see. I mean, he guy like Zach Johnson all of a sudden has a chance. I, I love Molinari with the way yeah. he's playing. Um, but what about Hideki? No no top 10 since uh, Hawaii.
2: Yeah, caddy changed this week, apparently, too, according to my friends in the Japanese media. Oh, uh, really? So a little shake-up in Camp Hideki, trying to mix things up a little bit. Um, I... I don't know. I, you know, he had the heartbreaking loss at the PGA. Uh, then he had the wrist injury. Wrist injuries are hard to come back from shaking confidence from the PGA. And I, I could see, I could just see, you know, it's just, it's, it's been a dark time in Hideki land. Uh, but I do, I like Molinari a lot and Knox. Both those guys hit it so dead straight, but as firm as it is too. any side spin on the ball and the ball is going to bounce anywhere. So, uh, Rue and Francesco, two of the hottest players in the world and really two of the straightest players in the world, so I'm also all in on those picks.
1: I mean, I think the, the biggest story, you know, we're sitting here on Tuesday, is going to be the course and is the course, and it's hard to say that with Tiger in the field too, but I just, um, I think like in all the lead-up days, this is just so extreme and different from what we're used to, even for the Open, and, and like, I hate to play into the line of baked out, baked out, you know, you're going to hear that every three minutes and you're gonna hear every uh synonym for it used throughout the weekend I just I'm like fascinated by it I'm fascinated by seeing the best in the world try and play it figure out how to play it, it seems like we're getting for me like the biggest storyline is that there seems to be a really clear-cut like divergence of strategies uh, we hear Rory and DJ and Ron and some of these other big hitters saying like well it's burned out the burned out effect for them is that the rough is now wispy and they could they feel like they can play out of it? That may be kind of a I don't know a, a poor strategy, but that's the way they they're thinking. So they're gonna bomb it over everything and and they're not worried about missing you know the fairway. You know of course there are different parts of missing miss fairways that are worse than others, but they just feel like the burned outness of it has has made it more of a bombers uh, a bombers paradise I guess this week and then there's the other other track of you know strategy like a speed saying I'm just gonna you know Greller thinks I can just hit four irons all day And, and you know I just really find that so fascinating we don't we don't see this we don't see a course deliberately like this so often and the way it's really and there seems to be no uniform response to how to play it
0: yeah I think Carnoustie's been Known as the toughest open championship course for a long time, one of the toughest venues in all of golf, and it and it kind of is that way because of how narrow it is. But you know, with the distance thing and and it being thinner and the and the wispy long stuff that actually might you know take some of the teeth out of the out of the golf course. Where I you know remember growing up watching at Carnoustie like ninety nine like yeah that if you missed the fairway it was just dead. And, and if it's a little bit thinner and, and it, it's going to be a little more unpredictable, but at the end of the day, I think when you've got a wedge in your hand, it's going I mean, it's a lot less, um, you know, challenging and it's the longest golf course in the open rota. And obviously the firm conditions will make it play much, much, much shorter. So, I mean, I imagine with the, with what I've been seeing, the course is you know, 7,400 yards, probably playing. Sixty eight, sixty seven hundred yards, and and if you you know adjusted it for how firm and fast it is, right, Sean?
2: The yeah, the thing that kind of helps with the whole bomb and gouge mentality is that um, the greens are very green. They've kept them very healthy. Um, you know, I think we saw at St Andrews in twenty fifteen. What happens if they get the greens a little too speedy? Then all of a sudden, you know, twenty twenty five mile hour wind gust comes, and which isn't too un- uncommon here, and, and you got to stop play. So that'll. Take out some of the necessity to play to angles, but I talked to Russell today, Russell Knox, and um, he said he thinks that angles are going to be big this week, and that Carnoustie, you know, walking around today, it's the way it's bunkered. There's always seems to be two. A lot of times, there's two sets of bunkers that you might be able to carry one, but then you're bringing the other one into play, and, and guys might be able to do what Spieth did last year, where you're intentionally aiming at the rough because. You know, the rough is maybe a quarter shot penalty, maybe even less while as a pop bunker, especially here where they seem to be the deepest pop bunkers I've ever seen at a links course is maybe a one shot penalty or at least three quarters of a shot. Um, But I don't know. You just you can't roll around this place without abandon, Uh, even with the rough being wispy. um, You know, Russell talked about a really experienced links player he thinks is going to win here. And when you look, you know, Podrig won here. He's a links player. Paul Lurie from Scotland won here. I think four of the seven winners here have been uh, from the British Isles. Tom Watson won here. He was a master of links. So I think that – I don't know. I don't think Carnoustie, even in these conditions, allows guys to just kind of play with impunity. I think that you'll see a lot of driving irons and um, – I don't know. I, I just it – seemed, it seemed hard for me. I'm not a, one of the top players in the world, but it seemed hard for me to walk around today to just see opportunities for guys to just blow it all over the place.
0: Mm -hmm. i think uh, you know what i'm kind of watching and what i've been thinking about a little bit is you know we've had all the slew of first-time major winners and obviously brooks has been kind of the first of that crop to get the second major title like we have dustin john you look at down the world rankings dustin johnson justin thomas justin rose top three players all only have one major championship then you go you know uh you've got jason day you've got Patrick Reed, you've got Henrik Stenson, Sergio, all all first time, you know, one time major winners. And and I think there's a big, you know, opportunity for these guys to, you know, separate themselves and put them into another pantheon with a second major win. And what you were just describing made me kind of think of like, you know, great Lynx player that hasn't won an open championship is Sergio.
2: Yeah. Uh Sergio, a little runner up here in 07, a little heartbreak. Mm-hmm. Um but also too like going back to the stats, uh five of the seven winners here are in the Hall of Fame, and that doesn't include Podrig, who's gonna get in. So basically six of the seven players who've won here are Hall of Famers. Um I think I think we're gonna get a class winner, so I think that kind of falls into what you're saying.
1: I'm a big Kopka Kepka guy, again. I can't you know, I don't know that I'll pick him back to back. But uh from from a link standpoint, I, I kinda like Fleetwood. He seems you know, based on what we saw at Shinnecock, I don't know if he's like as linksy a player, as like a... Course said, record holder
0: at yeah, course record.
1: Yep, yep, but obviously a different, different kind of course, I keep saying. You'll hear that once or twice. Uh, yeah, I think of the Euro group, uh, Fleetwood's kind of, that's not really a trendy or a, a dark horse pick, but he's the one guy I like uh, on the English side. And, and Knox, I mean, I've seen you've been tweeting all week about Russell Knox. Sean and they took you, you know, less than 10 minutes to get into him today. But, you know, it's kind of hard to ignore his form really through that, like Rolex series run and, and everything, you know, the, the links, the links portion of, of the schedule. So I think I think Knox and Fleetwood are my two favorite euros.
0: So we got a question from Kyle Davis, who who's asked, is the open the best overall major when you take into consideration T V coverage, rota courses, the RNA setup and, you know, just links golf all that comes with it. What do you guys think about that?
1: It is for me. Um, and I've I wrote this a couple of years ago and kind of reheat it and update it every year. I don't know what what it, I, I think the modern open and I'll say maybe the last decade has really branded itself really well. I just think it's really distinct, and um, my and this is this is a personal opinion. So my personal interaction with this championship just seems more meaningful than others. I, I don't know why. Like I just feel like I remember more often like where I was and remember taking it in more when it was whatever Tiger in two thousand five or Tiger in two thousand or you know Phil in twenty thirteen, Rory in twenty fourteen. I just remember more about my personal interaction with this. <laughs> tournament just feels extra special um i i like all the others too i love the masters i love u.s open for a very different reason than this um but i don't i I think just there's so many things about this the tv coverage this time change which i think is really really fun for a u.s audience for one week a year it's not fun this isn't something we want to do regularly i think it's that's i think that actually plays into the identity of the tournament for a U.S. audience. Um, and then obviously just the style of golf, it's so refreshing. We're going to Bell Reeve in three weeks or whatever. It's just, it's nice to know that you can rely on this and this may be a kind of a, you know, this, this may be even an extreme case for firm and fast, but, uh, you just know the visual of it is going to be so different from, from what we're used to. And, and I just think like the way it's really, the RNA has branded it over the last decade. They're very, very consistent and specific and clean. And I just think that they put on the best championship.
2: Yeah, I mean, I grew up in California. So I think, you know, your final group was teeing off at like 7 a.m. And, sure. and so it was, it was pretty awesome. Uh, it was so early. I mean, you could watch the whole thing and then, you know, it's over by like before noon and you could go play golf. Um, so I always have fond memories of, of that kind of. It's, it's cool, too, because you can get up early uh and just watch the golf and kind of curl up on the couch and i definitely have a lot of f- fun memories of that and I mean, links golf is so unique tiger today was like beaming talking about the yeah. first time he played Carnoustie uh when he played as an amateur in the scottish open and talking about how he spent two hours just hitting all these different clubs to the 100 yard sign and he putted from 80 yards and i mean it was like the biggest smile i mean that i'd seen on his face And maybe ever, I think part of that was just kind of recalling his youth and time with his dad and back when golf was a a more innocent pursuit and he wasn't being hounded by everyone and everyone snapping photos of him with cell phone cameras and stuff but I think also just you know, you tweeted the thing that he had from Chronicles of an Open Champion and um, I think people like uh, just like seeing that challenge and like playing in that challenge it's just so different Um, it's so unique that yeah, I think the uniqueness of it, I think it just, it's awesome.
1: I'd, I'd strongly recommend going and finding that clip of Tiger. I'm sure it's on like golfchannel.com or some, someplace like that that has the press conferences. The Tiger talking about his first time at Carnoustie, which was, what, 95? No. Yeah. This, yeah, 90. Um, in an amateur event. It just hit into that 100-meter sign. He's like, I just stayed there for two hours. I hit nine irons to it. I hit five irons. I hit uh, wedges to it. It just... And my dad was like, "Are you ever gonna hit it past the 100 meters?" sign? he's like, "No, this is so much fun," and he was just smiling the whole time. And I think he he went on a soliloquy for I don't know, like three minutes, just talking about it. I I just would strongly recommend. I know I'm kind of restating what Sean said, but I would strongly recommend just just because there was so much context, his like facial expressions and and smiling around it was it was really cool to hear him talk about the style.
0: Yeah, I think the uh, open is is a. Another example of why variety is so important for golf, like whether it be the type of golf you're playing or, you know, the type of players on a leaderboard or, you know, even a golf course within a golf course having variety. But, you know, the open championship gives us a completely different look and feel from every other tournament that we, you know, as Americans are conditioned to watch. And, uh, if you look at the last, you know, I was talking with Will Knights who uh, who writes for the site and he does these, you know, ranking the last 10, you know, ranking the last decade pieces for majors and we were talking about the Open Championship and just like how many memorable ones there've been. I mean, last year you had, you know, Jordan yelling at Greller, go get that, but then the year before you had the Stenson Mickelson duel. I mean, you have like you know, Zach Johnson, Leishman, and Ustazen in a playoff the year before that at, at St. Andrews. But then you had, like, Stuart Sink and Tom Watson going at it. Well, you know, like, maybe one of the most memorable Opens. And, you know, you had Philip Muirfield. That was a great Open. Like, in the last decade, you know, there have been so many great Open championships. And I think more so than every other tournament, they've been the most memorable tournament, memorable tournament of uh, recent memory.
1: Yeah, I just, and for like different reasons, I feel like, you know, the last decade, there's just, like I was saying, my personal interaction with it, I just remember so much about each one. Like Phil, there was like that triumphalism of just feeling like I just played the best round of my golf, best round of my life. And it kind of came out of nowhere. That wasn't like a ton of hype. He was in, you know, among the last four or five groups, and it just happened. And then all of a sudden it was over. You know, he wasn't even in the coverage until like the like ninth hole. And all of a sudden, you know, two hours later, he played the round of his life. And and so often with Phil, there's so much hype and buildup in a full day. Uh, And Rory was different. You know, Rory was great, you know, more because of, like, it was the full package of Rory. He was hitting freaking lasers, you know, five irons into par fives and making eagle. And it was so different. Like, it was the dominance of Rory that we thought was going to be, like, the number, you know, the post-Tiger player. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel like, it's, and you talk about Sync versus Tom Watson, or or the, the year after it's speed kind of challenging for the slam, and somehow Zach Johnson win. There's just like, it's memorable for a lot of different reasons, and, and it's been on kind of an incredible run, which kind of scares me also, that we're due for kind of a dud or a flop winner, so.
0: So from RJ Tapest, uh, could we see the firmness at Carnousie make a play to a point where minus 15 is a winning score? You know, we all know par doesn't matter, but could it make Carnousie easier?
2: I don't know. I mean, I'm still of the mindset that it's going to be a, a higher winning score. I, I don't, I mean, Padraig shot seven under when the place was basically almost winless, it was damp. Uh, it was playing about as easy as it can and, and seven under one. I just think, I mean, this is a very unique set of circumstances, but the layout is just tough enough that I think even with this, it's it'll stand up. Yeah.
1: I I, I think I, I saw today the over-under for low round is, what, 63 and a half?
2: Yeah, I think you tweeted those, and I immediately just wanted to reply over in all caps. On everything, just over
1: everything. Okay, I saw that in my email. I, I, I think people are expecting, you know, someone to go super low. I don't know if you can back that up to two days in a row or post, you know, four mid sixties round, high sixties rounds. That, but it just seems like everyone's expecting this to be benign
0: yeah the the fact that the greens are kind of soft, but i think I feel like those greens could bake out real quick i mean, and actually one of the difficult things is if if the those fairways are as firm as everybody's saying, so they're really firm fairways if the greens are soft, those are actually really tough conditions to play in is when you got a lot of inconsistency between the fairway and the green and i think i yeah i I have a hard time seeing you know, sixteen, seventeen under, but it, I mean, if, if anything with, with the low wind, sunny, you know, good conditions, like this, this would be the year that that would happen. Granted par doesn't really matter, you know? <laughs> right. So, uh, what about, uh, what about the, uh, the burn naming water features? Do you, you know, this comes from Barry W <laughs> you, you guys, I think it's overrated, underrated, you know, the Barry burn race Creek, <laughs>
2: I mean, uh, I'm in. I mean, just because it's not like someone came along and like named these for like a postcard. Right. Like they're historical bodies of water. It's not like they just this wasn't like a branding exercise. Uh, there's a town of Barry nearby. The Barry Mill, uh, its water wheel is powered by the Barry Burn. So it's not like you know, just some marketer came by and was like, "All right, we need to name this burn after Manalo or Bonds or uh, Sanders." It's just. I don't know. I don't, I, you can't criticize a, a historic water monument that was probably around before the golf course.
1: Yeah, I think it's 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 fine. It's underrated if the thing's been there forever. It, it's not, you know, some sort of, you know, live under par activation or something like that. So.
2: Plus, how good is it that the thing is 12 feet wide and it just it messes with people so much? Like, it's you feel like you could jump across it if you got a running start, and yet it plays a huge... Uh, a huge part in your thinking on, on several holes and a lot of great golf courses do that. I think Cal club has a great Creek on one of the holes and, and just shows you don't need a giant pond with a fountain. You can have a great hazard
1: that's 12 feet wide. So how many times is it cross? Doesn't uh, it, it, make I, think it,
0: I think it's three times on 18 alone, right?
1: Yeah. So
2: it, it kind of first, it, it the, the course kind of goes along the perimeter of the property. This is not like a traditional out-and-back links. Uh, it goes around basically the square of the property for the most part, and then on the inside is the other course, the burn side. Um, and so you kind of see it on 10. It's not really in play. 10 a pretty short hole, uh, and it's short It's short enough from the green that it's not really be in play. But you basically see it – you first see it kind of left of 16, which is a 250-yard par 3 that you're trying to squeeze like a ferroy wood in between two huge bunkers that are 15 yards apart. Uh, and the hole just looks impossible, but really a 17 where it comes into play, It, the thing is like a snake. Uh, yeah. It goes up the left, it goes in front of the 17th tee, uh, right before the landing area, then it goes up the left side, then it crosses again, and so really the hole, if you go down the left side, I mean the burn's right there, and there's basically no rough, and you can go in it pretty easily. If you want to try to hit it up on the hole, the burn crosses like kind of a diagonal left to right, so you can try to squeeze it up the right side, but if you pull it or hook it, trying to squeeze it into that right corner, you can easily go in the burn. And then uh, 18, it's not really in play off the tee. You'd have to really snipe one because the rough left of 18 is really, really thick. Uh, it's the by far the thickest part of the golf course. I saw Adam Hadwin lose a ball in the rough. Uh, and so it, it is isn't play in front of the green. I forgot, I was watching Golf Channel documentary on 99 that Paul Laurie bounced it over the burn in regulation. Like We talk about Vanderbilt and all that stuff, but – lori got this humongous break just to get in that playoff
0: hey uh you know Smartin, you're you're on site so you're you're adjusted to scottish time uh brendan what's your what's your schedule what what, what do you think about adjusting your schedule this year how i know we we did last year the the stay up all night thing and that was pretty crazy but what, what are you planning on this this week
1: well, I'll, I'm gonna stay. Up. I mean, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be ready, locked in, 1:30 a.m. Eastern on Thursday. But there are many, many, uh, many different theories. <laughs> Energy drinks. That you can <laughs> Well, that's certainly an aid. Uh, there's many strategies on how to flip into open time for, you know, unemployed or oddly employed people who don't have <clears throat> any obligations Thursday or Friday. Uh, I think the thing to do is one of these nights you just have to power through and kind of stay up all night and then like flip and go to bed at like 8, 8 p.m. Scottish time. So, like, I think usually the t- usually the thing or if you don't have to be working during it, you know, Wednesday night you pick like you, you go out to a late dinner, like 10 o'clock. Obviously nothing crazy. Don't like go out for ribs or a bunch of you know pasta that's going to knock you out. Uh, go out for a light dinner, maybe light seafood late, uh, Wednesday night. Maybe, maybe you have a cocktail or two kind of like, you know, start feeling good. And, and then you just power through Thursday and crash. You know, you, you can switch from cocktails to coffee at some point, usually like four or five, you know, you get that star power group coming in around four. I think this year it's beef. Coming on at 4?
0: Yeah, I think there's another one right behind them too. You got, uh,
1: you got Spieth
0: and, uh, no, Ram and Ricky.
1: Okay. Phil's pretty early. Phil's, like, at 3 a.m. hmm uh, You, like, switch to coffee kind of around that time, and you just power through to, like, early afternoon. So you, you, here's my suggestion. You nap a little when you get home from Wednesday Wednesday work, late dinner Wednesday, couple cocktails, power through. you flipped coffee. About like four o'clock, as those big groups come on, and you get to you know. I know where this is headed. You don't eat heavy. You can't be eating heavy. You can't be having this big breakfast and all that crap. When
0: when do you pop in a monster, and what flavor do you go with?
1: (laughs) I've been waiting
0: five minutes for this.
1: Like a casual sipping, that's just ever present. I think like you you should shotgun one at ten a.m. Basically. Like, inhale it. Inhale it at 10 a.m. Chase it with, like, a, an espresso. And then you're good to go. Jeez. Man. And then you're good to go. Have a light lunch. Maybe, like, a like a grilled cheese or something. Something light. Not too heavy on the bread or cheese. And, and you're good. You get to, like, 4 or 5 o'clock. You crash around 5 p.m. And you're good for the next three days.
0: Do you, do you say goodbye to your wife and kids before you do that's, this?
1: That's understood, yeah. <laughs>
0: that's, uh... Now that we've gotten Brendan's breakdown of his recipe for Open Championship success, it's important to point out one major flaw, a lack of hydration. One of the keys to having energy is staying hydrated, and there's no better way to do that than with our Open Championship sponsor, Greater Than. It's a healthy and delicious sports drink with two times the electrolytes of its competition. Buy Greater Than at drinkgt.com and use the promo code THEFRIEDEGG with no spaces to get 20% off your order. Now back to the podcast. Yeah, uh, and I don't know what I'm going to do this year. I uh, I'm probably going to do a super early wake up. Probably like a I'm I'm probably going to clock in at four a.m. You know, I'm not gonna I'm I'm not gonna go through the the all night thing. And you know, to be honest, I'm I'm not that excited to watch like Sandy Lyle tee off. Like doesn't do it for me. Uh, That's
1: the dirty secret about this. It's its uh, like that first year, they started it at 1.30, which is like insanely early even for Scotland. You know, like it's insanely early in the actual time zone where the tournament is being played. And it was Colin Montgomery at Truen and all that, you know, stuff. But like it's kind of quiet until like 3 or 4. Like yeah. ESPN would come on at 4 o'clock on Thursday and Friday.
0: I mean, I'm pretty excited about the 2.08 Pairing of Mark Calcavecchia, Dante Bumna, and Sean Norris. <laughs> Is that Norris or Nuris? I
2: think it's Norris, isn't it? Is
0: You're it Norris? Over- it, 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 I, I've got it in front of me. It's spelled with two O's and and one R. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> maybe it's a p- misspelled.
2: Well, I got to be honest. Uh, I might need. They have a, a different energy drink for sale in the in the media center. It's uh, one sponsored by a, a top ten player in the world. Uh, won't name names, but I may need one. I haven't had a good night's sleep since I got here. The whole not getting dark until past ten, and then getting light again at four a.m. Uh, it really messes with you. Me. And I'm going about nine days now without quality sleep, so uh, i may have to follow your own your own
1: plan, though. What
0: uh, what do you guys think about the pairings for the Open? They
1: what do you? I lost you there.
0: Yeah, I lost everybody there. I was, I said, what do you guys think about the pairings with uh, non, you know, they're kind of stacked, but not super stacked. Do you like, do you like yeah. this? Uh,
2: I'll go. I liked Kyle's take. I thought Kyle, our friend, Kyle Porter of CBS, of course was spot on. I think that the kind of two thirds groups where it's like two big names and you know, the third name that they really could slot in there to make it just <laughs> a super group. They, they don't go there. Uh, they just have two really big names and a lesser one. I like that for just the overall flow, especially if you're someone like Brendan or, or, you know, you guys getting up at like 2 in the morning. They're kind of just sprinkled throughout the tea times. And, you know, I was going through – I did our feature groups file for uh, pdtour.com, and I did like 10 groups because there were yeah. so many that you had to pay attention to. And I think that's good for, for viewing because, yeah, they're sprinkled, sprinkled throughout. It's not just really – Solid. These two solid blocks of every big name you can think of. What's your, what's your
0: What's your favorite one, Sean? Since you Since you went through that, I I just uh, actually wrote something uh, on that.
2: I've already let my feelings be known. I think it's it's definitely Tiger Hideki Knox.
1: Uh, yeah. You know who I'm gonna love watching is Reed, Usti, Louis, uh, and Paul Casey. It's a very classy group. Yeah, yeah. Paul Paul Casey,
0: something else. I mean, I, I feel like he. I mean, when you start talking about, you know, best player without a major, I think he's got to be in the mix, in the conversation. Um, He's so consistent, and I think he's got 15 top 15s in in majors over the course of his career. You know, the one thing is he's never had, like, a really close call in a major. Like, you'd never have felt like, well, you know, Paul Casey should have won that major um, like you do with, like... Where Ricky's had what he's had three runner-ups, four runner-ups now, and Usti's had, you know, four runners-up and one in each major, which is pretty incredible. Do you guys have any uh, any sleepers outside of Russell Knox, uh, Sean, that you're looking at?
2: Uh, what do you consider a sleeper? I don't.
1: Sanders Schoffley is eighty to one how about i got one you know who else is 80 to one lee westwood is that asleep Ooh. he's barely a golfer anymore is that asleep? hasn't he hasn't he flashed a little form recently yes yes yeah. he been hey andy
0: i mean i i i repurchased my foreclosed property on westwood island recently because he's been really he, playing well i mean you can did see you it. your shoes back yeah, since I mean I'm 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 working on a sponsorship deal to get some Air Westies sent directly to me. But um, you look at you know he you watch his Instagram, you can tell he's been he's been in the gym. He's still eating a ton. He's still eating and drinking a ton. But you know he's been he's been practicing a little bit more and he's been in the gym a lot. I, I, you know I think there's a resurgence here at in the late forties here for Westie. And you know, to be honest, this could be the spot for him you know, baked out, you know, he's got, he can, he's so good tee to green. It's just like a matter of just putting. Okay. You know, just not missing so many short putts. And, you know, I, I feel like my, my, my life's been haunted by Lee Westwood missing four <laughs> footers on Saturdays and Sundays. Like, I mean, it's, it's just like a vivid memory of like, you know how he stands, you know, he, he's got a distinct, um, posture over a putt but then when he would just shove them right you know like they'd immediately off the club face be like right of the hole and you'd be like oh you missed it again but like the way he would stand over the putt like after you know it rolls by the hole like you know it's like the the look of a guy that knew he had no chance of making that putt and (laughs) and it's uh you know if he could somehow get get around that I mean we'd be talking about probably you know the the second best player of this generation
2: oh wow uh what about uh the big kiwi ryan fox
0: that guy pounds the ball
2: yeah i think he's like the son of a rugby player or something
1: he's built like a brick shithouse um he's He's 100 at the
2: irish open obviously uh so and then t6 at scottish open so playing the links well what about paul dunn yeah, I didn't even is he in the field? I yeah, unfortunately, I don't even know that he's
0: kind of had like a sneaky, like really good year. You know, I know he's on on the bubble of Ryder Cup team, but then I mean, you're talking about a guy that was in the final group as an amateur, in yeah. an open. So I think he could be a, a sleeper. I think
1: you, um, Uline's one hundred fifty to one. What do we think of him? Eh. Class player. Uh, I like it.
2: I, actually, I was like, I'm shocked. That Eighty to one is Rafa Cabrera Bayo
1: too high no yeah. oh, i think
2: that's a, i would i'd hop on that in a second
1: that's why yeah
2: he's like the oh yeah i'm not a big odds guy i finally hopped on golf odds for the first time we've done all this so uh
0: you know i i kind of like as uh the resurgent danny willett yeah you know everybody left him for dead he's he's back is he i don't know i don't i feel like he falls into this bucket of like guys that like really good players that have gone through like the doldrums. One of which is Westy. I mean, Westy went through like two year period where he completely lost it. in like the, what was it? The early 2000. And then, really? uh, Henrik Stenson, I mean, Stenson had the legit shanks a couple years ago. And, uh, and will, it's just the latest of it. I mean, he, I don't think Smiley Kaufman's coming back from it, but I think, you know, will it, will is coming back. He's not, he, he's, he's a great player.
1: Yeah, he was, what number one amateur in the world at one point? He just had injury and you know swing changes and all sorts of issues.
0: Yeah,
2: I think also the barn rat. Uh, the barn rat's kind of advancing past just being like an internet phenomenon. Like he's not just a yeah. giant guy who vapes and drives Porsches. Like he's actually played pretty well in some big events this year.
0: Yeah, I, I like the I like the barn rat too. He's 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 got a tough pairing though. I just I. I like the barn wrap, but I don't like the high-profile pairing he's in. I feel like that yeah. that hinders his chances.
1: Sure.
0: It's uh, I like Olison too, the Thunder Bear. Yeah. He's yep. uh, I, you know, it, the only reason I know how to do those uh, the lines through an O is because of him, <laughs> and on a keyboard. But uh, I I like him. He's been I think he's got top tens in, in three of his last uh, five events, and it, one of them's a win. So that's we're up that's, to like
2: a quarter of the field now. We're really, I mean, we'll pretty much just pick a winner if we just keep going.
0: I I do. Who's so who's your winner? If you chips winner. are down,
2: I was huge on Henrik until the report came out. That Is it hurt? Yeah, the el- the elbow thing really killed it. I was huge on Henrik. I was very big on strokes gained approach the green as kind of the determinant of uh, what to pick based off of. But uh, that being said, I'm I'm not sure who. I think Brooks. I'm going to go Brooks. I'm all in on Brooks. I loved some of the things he said at Shinnecock. When things got out of hand and people asked him why he didn't complain, he just said, you know, when you complain, you're just allowing yourself to make excuses. I'm not going to make excuses. And then he also said that I love golf where you have to aim away from the flagstick. I feel like it tests my discipline. Like you don't hear a lot of 28-year-olds say that, like readily admit that they're readily welcome aiming away from the stick. So he just – he has that kind of maturity and, yeah, I don't have a problem aiming away from flag
1: flagstick. So I feel like so many guys – do have a problem with that. That's a fascinating inter- interview with Joey D earlier. He's talking about how he Kepka loves like the punishing workout as opposed to like to be like beat up. It's, maybe that's the uh, where he gets his discipline, just throwing at middle of the green. Uh, my winner, I love Kepka again, but you know, he came through for me last time. Uh, I am picking Patrick Reed. Uh, I think he's a different different player since he won the Masters. I think, you know, we've seen him compete pretty consistently after an underwhelming major start to his majors career. Uh, you know, he's he's around the green. He's maybe the best, one of the best in the world. Stats back that up. He's pr- pretty good, above average, approaching the green. You know, his one weakness is technically distance. You know, off the tee. And I think that'll be mitigated a bit this week. I think it's more of like a control and plotting game. And I just think he's, uh, I think he's a really different, confident, like, I mean, he's, he's obviously confident. But he talked himself about how he, he was really nervous. He used to get nervous in majors, and he was nervous the Masters, and how different it felt at Shinnecock since, you know, the post-Masters win. Uh, and we saw him contend there again. I just think he's like a, a different player now. He, the Masters will do that. And I think he's got the kind of game, certainly around the green, to, to uh, win this week.
0: Yeah, he's been on a, a run, T-second at the PGA uh, win. Yeah. And what do he finish, fourth or third? At uh, at Shinnecock, fourth, I think. So, man, that's a pretty good three major run. Yeah. I, and this right. In the course of this so, podcast, yeah. I have uh, oh, talked yeah. myself into Sergio. So wow, nice. you know i I know he hasn't had the best year he's uh but he's got top uh top ten and then a t12 in his last two starts and I just uh I think some uh, experience he's had so many close go I mean the open championship is the one that you expected Sergio to get I mean it did it, it fits yeah. it, it fits his game more so than any other major championship so I'm rolling with the uh the experienced guy and and Sergio. Moves himself a notch up And you know the greatest players of all time With with another major win
1: Can we talk real quick about Cat?
0: Yeah we gotta Talk about Cat.
1: Quickly I don't know if that's possible So I heard Now this has become a big talking point This is the best chance The Open is the best Chance for him to win another major The rest of his career and this specific One is the best of the best Chance of the Open to win this week this week so all living the present
0: i think i think i gotta disagree with this week being (laughs) the best chance but uh, the open i think is the best chance for anybody because the the weather can just knock out half the field and given the draw and the weather not i don't don't
2: think we're gonna have that this
0: year well that's that's why i'm saying that it can't be this year Yeah. yeah so this year it can't be that year because if the weather is the way it's forecasted you know the, the draw is going to be equal so you're going to have a whole field to contend with so i think with regards to like the ability to hit irons and plot his way around the course that's that's great like that's it. but i mean like the last time we saw him at quicken loans he was he was he was great tee to green i mean it it i think it it definitely plays his hands where he can hit irons um i i think he's got a good shot this week i would put him probably outside the top 10 in favorites right
1: yeah, he's kind of under the radar. It's crazy. He's 25 to 1. Yeah. This is a huge number. I don't think Cat's ever under the radar. He, that is a lot of, that is a big odds though. We're talking about relative Tiger things. Yeah. But like, he's just, he's under the radar for Tiger. And that's an enormous number for a guy who is like, in effect, been a top 20 player in the world this year, right? I mean, he's not, his ranking says something different, but his play is that of like a top 20 player in the world. And for him to, you know, he, he's not, he had much lower numbers when he was like his back was a mess and he had no chance. Like he has a chance this week. 25 to 1 just seems really high for a Tiger in the realm of Tiger.
2: I, yeah, I was – I mean I agree with all of it. I think I the open for so many reasons that we've talked about fits him so well and, and fits him well for years because like he talked about, you can – even when he gets you know older – uh, you can you don't have to hit it as far. You can run it up, and I was trying to prepare this c- contrarian take where it's like, yeah, he's won three Opens, but two were to St. Andrews, and then I pulled up his record, and he has nine top 10s in 19 starts, and that, I mean, really nine top 10s basically in 15 starts where he had a chance, discounting the amateur starts, and then 2015, I think, was an anomaly. So, you oh, got yeah. basically three quarters of the, his starts he's finishing top 10 at the Open. Uh, it's I think it is. It's a great tournament form. I think it just it kind of gets the gears flowing. And I think maybe be, because there's so much enthusiasm for it and so much creativity, it maybe takes away a little bit of the nerves, I think. Uh, it's a very amateur psychology take. But I think that, I don't know, I think that he feels more comfortable there maybe than anywhere else because he knows that uh, he can do things differently. He can be creative and he doesn't have to... You, know, you don't have to play perfect in the open. You just have to play smart.
0: Yeah. I think the open is a much more like instinctual golf. It's not a, you know, there's this, this ongoing debate between, you know, is golf science or is it art? And and I think when you're out in the open championship with the conditions, the weather, you know, the firmness, like it becomes so much less scientific and so much more about feel and, and just, you know, knowing how to play and, and just, you know, proper golf. And I think that's why you see, you know the the list of players. Obviously, you get some some fluky winners just because of weather and stuff. But you get you know a real class leaderboard and class players almost every time out with it with the open. And I think uh, you know that's how it fits Tiger so well is that when when the chips are down and you know like we saw it so much through his career is like when he you know when when the, his back's up against the wall. But it's all about just hitting that shot. He was, you know, one of the class players, and, and always came up with the shot because it was like, you know, he was, it was kind of like golf in your childhood when you're, you know, playing and you're racing against darkness, like you can't see anything. You're just, you're just swinging and hitting the shot. It's not, uh, you know, you, you kind of, I, I think you lose that a little bit when it's just, you know, kind of point and shoot and all numbers based and with the the green books, like it's become so scientific and and going somewhere where it's so firm and you can get a bad bounce out of the blue brings back the art of it a little bit more
2: yeah i think there was something a couple of years ago that was really telling When uh when phil switched to andrew gets he was talking about how like he really basically felt like he had the, the genesis like the bulk of what they were trying to do down like he had that part of the swing and now he just had to learn kind of and get back into the finer hand motions to create the little you know different shots hit it a little bit higher cut it a little bit draw it a little bit and you know, we look at golf swings as, like, this macro thing. We break down swing plane and we look at the big motions uh, because that's what you can catch on camera. But, um, you know, impact is a fraction of a second and so much of it and what talent, I think, what a lot of it is, is just that little bit extra ability to, you know, control it and manipulate it and save it sometimes and, and work it sometimes with the hands. And so I think you get over here and, you know, Tiger's working on that. And Tiger's, you know, he's got – trying to hit fine shots to take this little, you know, extra hand motion that kind of like you were saying, put the artistry back in it. And so he's been so swing centric, you know, he's uh, changing things up the past few years. and, And I think that, you know, going back to maybe just playing golf again, I think helps him get out of that, you know, basically the whole thing of playing golf versus playing golf swing type deal.
0: So, Will Knight's, uh, you know, Ben Curtis, Hunter Mahan, and Mike Weir were all in the top ten the last time the Open was at Carnoustie. <laughs> of these three, who would you be most surprised if they won another major?
1: Was it Ben Curtis, Mahan, and Weir?
0: Yeah. Oh
1: my. <laughs> I mean, it has to be Ben Curtis. I don't think he's no the man. way. He's we're,
0: like hey, we're gonna stage. we're gonna count <laughs> we're gonna count senior major wins in this. Okay.
1: I think it's still Ben Curtis. Oh, no way. (laughs) But Benny Boy I mean he came out of nowhere to win the first time. He'd come out of nowhere again. (laughs) That that always that always offends me. He was the number one amateur in the world at Kent State for a while, and then everyone's like, Oh, he came out of nowhere. I'm from northeast Ohio. I know I know about his roots. I know (laughs) I'm just telling you. He'd come out of nowhere again. He just he was what was he ranked in the world? Like six hundredth or something? Mike Weir has no chance to win (laughs) at any uh, level. At uh, any yeah. tour, a major, a, you know, a club championship. Mike Weir, I God bless the guy. You know, he seems like a very nice individual. Was it a Hall of Famer maybe? Incredibly, you know, great at one point. He hits like a wounded duck, 235 <laughs> yards. This he, pod, he this pod could exempt to the U.S. Senior Women's. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wow. jeez. He, I think of those three, I like him. I'm a big fan, you know, I just, I, when it's gone, it's gone. You just can't, I think he would be the most unlikely.
0: I agree. Mike Weir has no chance.
1: Uh, Also, Hunter Mahan, the original
2: monster uh, ambassador on tour. That's right.
0: You always have to wonder about the underlying uh, motives of Porat. Yeah. You know, this comes out after his rant about we're trying to take all the spotlight off Mahan.
1: Hey,
0: I think I could see Ben Curtis becoming an icon on the senior tour, you know, becoming the guy that, you know, just just has a resurgence at age 50.
2: Do we know if he plays golf anymore?
0: I'm sure he does.
2: Yeah. Are we really? Are you sure?
0: I mean, I'm sure he goes out and plays golf, you know? Yeah. Might, I mean, Might not have not played for, his, played for money I, in a while.
2: Uh, his last start was the 2007 <laughs> Texas Open WB He played two events in 2017. He's played nowhere in 2018.
0: Hey, he's just getting primed. Just just starting like a Rocky-like, uh, uh, um, you know, training for the senior tour. So, also, ben-
2: Ben Curtis won three more tour events. He finished runner up in a PGA championship and a player's. Like, he had a
1: career. He yeah, he
2: had a, he had a good little career there.
1: For sure. So
0: we got overrated. Uh, let's go with Vandeveld's collapse. Is it overrated or underrated? And this is from Ernesto.
1: Hmm. I think it's become overrated. I think it's become mythologized in a way that. We just, that's how we do. We kind of get carried away with things. Of course, it's an incredible turn. It just finishes to a turn. But I think it's been mythologized a little too much just because like it had the taking your shoes off and socks off and getting in the burn. There's just like a lot of visuals with it that have just added. I, I don't know. I think, I think it's, it's, I think it's overrated. Or maybe I'm just fatigued by it all this week.
2: Yeah, it's pretty interesting walking around here. You ba- I mean, still, when people are walking around 18, you constantly just hear people like going, okay, and then he was there, and then he hit it to there, and then it bounced off this thing, you know, and uh, it's still the big talking point, but I kinda agree with the overrated. Like, you still see the photo of him in the burn with his pants rolled up, you know, every time we come to Carnoustie. And uh, I'm going overrated. I appreciate that in Ryan Lavender's oral history of the whole thing, uh, Vanderbilt, for the first time I had seen, finally admit that like when the night was over, he went into his hotel room, uh, and I believe that he was in his closet, he said, bawling. And like the whole, I never bought the whole, like, oh, I'm French, it's just a game, it does not matter. I was like, there's no way, man. And so I was so glad to finally hear him admit that he just broke down after the night was over. I mean, I feel bad for him that he did, but I just, it, it had to be. I mean, there's no way that it wasn't a big deal, but I'm, it's overrated.
0: I'm going underrated. There's, it, it was the, I mean, it's the craziest collapse in in any championship golf history. I mean,
2: yeah, but now we're going all like revisionist history on it. They're like, well, actually, he was really unlucky because like if he, he hit this pole and yeah. the ball and the pole, and, all, and I'm like, yeah, but you know how hmm. you're not unlucky? You hit seven iron into the fairway, or just, eight he, iron into the fairway.
0: He needed to make a. I mean, it. it I'll never forget it. It's one of the. You know whether you like it or not, like one of the most vivid golf memories I've ever had. You know.
2: Yeah, but it was kind of a goofy end to a goofy week because the setup was crazy. I mean, it it was like I mean the setup was an abomination to the width and angle school. There was Mm -hmm. zero of both. Uh, The fairways were four yards wide. So I don't know. I think that's what kind of what sours it on me. It was almost like the deserving ending to the week that they had there.
0: All right, overrated, underrated Adam Scott's career. And this is wow. given the expectations from Tommy <coughs> Gufano.
1: Hmm. I think we. His career. It's so like his resume, I guess.
0: His yeah. career.
1: Oh, number one in the world, the players and the masters. It's pretty good. But what was he, number one in the world for like a month less?
0: Maybe an hour. Uh,
1: Yeah.
2: I think I'm going to go underrated just because, I mean, we base so much on, like, what the swing looks like, and he's a good-looking guy. Like, if he was 20 pounds heavier and he had a hitch in his swing, you'd be like, oh, my gosh, what an amazing, you know. Like, there's so much more to golf than just what your swing looks like. I mean, I know two handicaps that have good-looking swings, but they're not going to crack an egg on tour. And so I think we just, like, the poor guy, because he's ridiculously good-looking and his swing is on per, uh, perfectly on plane throughout like we expect him to win everything so poor i don't guy. Know. i just think that it's just the the visuals are there so we think oh he should win so much but in reality i think it's been a good career i think just the the expectations are so high because again the, the looks and, and the swing yeah i'd probably
1: say uh, i'd probably say for the same reason it's overrated i think like he just gets too much credit for being good looking and have a great swing
2: yeah,
1: but number one in the world, a mass, major, of players. I don't
0: know. It's a good, I to, it's a good question. I'm gonna go. He's uh, underrated. I think uh, he. I just did the math real quick. In his professional career, he's top ten and thirty five percent of his start.
1: That's what you get. You throw us to the wolves first, and get out the calculator while we're talking. Yeah. Then you come back.
0: you come back. You know, do quick some quick math and. Uh, I mean, that's pretty damn good and in, in, in the longevity of his career. I think is the other thing yeah. is like he's been a force in the game and a favorite. Like, I mean, how many how many I, I think right now is where we're getting like even till last year. But this year he's obviously he's he's underperformed compared to what we're used to. But, you know, where he was like every single major, he was a top 10 favorite for, you know, maybe 12, 13 years. It's a pretty you care good about career the thing
1: what you care about the anchoring thing kind of changing uh, his career
0: yeah i i don't know I, I i think he had a lot of good years post anchoring i mean sure. it, he had you know he was at end of the year in 2016 ranked 7th in the in the world and he won twice that year so oh, around, back to back right Yeah, he
1: went or almost around. i don't know
0: um, so I think, I think one of the things that, I mean, we might look back eventually on the anchoring role and say it was like the worst rule ever made. Cause they might, you know, pull back. I, I, who knows, but the, um, I think, uh, I think he was underrated. And when you look at it from like a, uh, and, and, uh, you know, he, he, he gift wrapped a, uh, open championship for, uh, my boy Big Earn you know, <laughs> that, I mean, yeah.
2: There were a few years there where he was like a consistent major. I mean, like what Brooks is doing right now, we talked about, like he was doing that for a little bit. Sure. And I think everyone's like, oh, if only he could putt, he'd win so much. It's like, yeah, if you took any player and made their weakest part of their game a strength, they'd win a ton. But that's why they don't, because golf is hard, and nobody except Tiger is good at everything for an extended period of time.
0: So, overrated, underrated, the Irish and Scottish Open?
1: Underrated. I think they're fantastic. As what? As like prep for the Open?
0: Yeah, sure. Oh. I don't know. Whatever you want it to be.
1: I think they're underrated. I think they're amazing. They're part of what makes July the best month of golf. And I love getting up, having coffee, and having stuff resolved by noon. I, I think they're awesome. I love both events. And same reason I love the Open. It's just a different look. I think we tend to kind of overweight you know any results and show of form and all this stuff like as soon as ricky hits a good shot people are like oh he's winning the british open you know as soon as you you know rolls in a putt it's all and it's like oh he's winning it's like i i don't know i i just i think we might overweight the effects of playing well there but uh i love them as tournaments on their own
2: uh, I think this is what got me in trouble last time with our controversial, overrated, underrated
1: uh, episode a few months
2: ago. But because I, I was making my take based on the golf hipster crowd, uh, which I'm—I don't know—I'm not cool, so I don't think I'm a part of. But you're, you're part uh, of it, I think. There's a—I think just—I think the—I think it's more a, a, getting to the, the the flavor of the age. We just with social media, we just take something great and just beat it to death, and just try to wring every last bit of content out of it, and there's that always that danger, but that being said, I think it is great to uh, be able to get up early and watch golf. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have cable, so I can't, I don't watch them, because I can't, uh, but if I did have cable, I would watch them, and it would be quite enjoyable. So, I'll say under, I, there's no way I can say overrated, uh, so I'll say underrated, but I don't know I do think they're in danger of just us just beating them to death because they are so good and that's just what we do with anything that's good
0: i wish they I wish they weren't back to back and I know it's scheduled that way for a reason and for prep but it would be nice to just get it every I don't know i'm 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 a big fan of the idea of like this world tour because like I think the Irish and the Scottish Open are so cool and uh I think you should but like having them, you know, two weeks in a row, it, it, it diminishes. I guess it. I mean, it absolutely kills the PGA Tour of those two weeks because they get all the best players playing them. But it would be cool to have yeah. it more. Uh, you know, like it. I mean, uh, if I was, <laughs> if I was running golf, I feel like we should have a monthly tournament in the British Islands. You know.
2: Yeah, but I think it's okay for the European Tour to win like certain stretches of the calendar. I mean, that I I'm okay with that. I think that's I think it's good. I think it's healthy for the game. I think it's healthy for. Both tours, like I think it's okay for them to, to win a couple weeks, uh, just because it makes so much sense. Because after the U.S. Open, most uh, most European guys are headed back to Europe anyway. So I don't know. I I'm totally cool with like the European tour winning those weeks because it makes sense to have Irish and Scottish Opens on lease courses right before the the Open Championship.
0: All right, uh, last overrated, underrated kilt. Uh, I
1: <sighs> Overage. I, I i have respect for you know native scots who you know that's part of their history wearing them i just think you get a lot of idiots that are trying to you know show off wearing them i think like it's just become like a thing for like people to like put a sign look at me uh, and there's a lot of people who are like Faking it and wearing skil- wearing kilts just to kind of for the show and the attention, so overrated. Yeah, it's kind of
2: like with Saint Pat. I know they're different countries, but it's kind of like with- or like Saint- a national holiday of like some pride for the country it or originated into just in an American drinking festival because we bastardize it. Uh, yeah. I think that kind of is what happens with, with kilts.
0: You're an overrated, yeah. huh?
2: Right. Yeah, it's nothing against kilts. It's just that if you're not wearing them because you come from a Scottish heritage and it's like a point of cultural pride for you, then you're you shouldn't be wearing it.
0: Yeah, I, I'm gonna go overrated. I'm not not in on them. Yeah, you know, I think that I yeah they're overrated. You know I, you know what what gets me is like when people are like oh look at that guy in a kilt you know
1: yeah that's I, the thing
0: it's,
2: how often does that happen in Chicago? I don't
0: know. I just feel like it's like if somebody's wearing a kilt, everybody's like, oh, look at that guy in a kilt. It's like, you know, what, what's the big deal? He's wearing a kilt, you know?
2: Well, that's why he's wearing... That's, he's no. trying to elicit that reaction. That's why he's doing it. He's just playing it in his hands.
0: Yeah, I, well, that's, I'm not one like that. I, I just yeah. I just take it for what it's worth, and I don't pay him any more attention than I would somebody wearing pants or shorts. Right. All right.
2: I'm always, I'm always just a little bit nervous that... Uh, He's actually not wearing anything under there, because there was a there was a rowdy group of probably guys that fit in the category that uh, Brendan and I were discussing, who were at an Irish bar that uh, DJ Pyhousky and I used to frequent in Orlando, and they were getting rowdy, and and we found out the hard way that uh, he was not wearing anything under his kilt. so that soured
1: me as well to the whole kilt situation orlando's a natural place to wear a kilts like seems like a natural habitat and that's what i'm this, talking about they're that's overrated.
0: why you should put it's the same reason you put spaniards in big techs wear.
1: yeah exactly <laughs> that's how they're overrated it's forced it's dumb and the people you know who wear kilts are you generally going to be terrible people now i apologize for all that kind of this is a part of scottish heritage you know i'm not Lumping in the Scots—that's a part of their heritage. No, you're you're defending the Scots. Yes, yeah, I'm saying it's been co-opted. Canadians, though, co-opted by a bunch of d-bags. Actually, a lot of Canada
2: is there's a large Scottish Canadian connection. Nova Scotia means New Scotland because a lot of them moved to Scotland, I think, or to Canada, I think, during the potato famine, which also hit Scotland. And uh, so you have—I don't know—you've offended one people while defending another, but there's gonna be a lot of overlap.
1: Got a good five minutes on kilts.
0: Yeah, it's uh, the, I have to acknowledge this because it, you know, we talked about Fleetwood. Tommy Pelto also wanted to know, what's uh, what's your favorite Fleetwood Mac song? I don't have one. Oh,
1: very <laughs> sad. Hmm. Landslide. Yeah, I was gonna say one I want to know. <laughs>
0: I think I'm going going dreams.
1: Dreams, dreams, is good.
0: Yeah. Dreams. I like that second to end new song too.
1: I had a Fleetwood Mac phase, and that's no longer.
0: Fleetwood Mac, overrated, underrated?
1: Overrated. I'm I'm not
2: qualified to take part in this. I don't, I really don't know.
0: I gotta I mean, stop having non-music fans on my pod. a music I know. <laughs> smart, smart. <laughs> uh, I, I'd say underrated on overrated. Doesn't
1: have cable. Doesn't let listen to music. I mean, I listen to music,
2: it's not Fleetwood Mac. I don't know how right. to tell you. All
0: right. all right, all right, well, that's disappointing, Sean. <laughs> Pop it on Spotify when you can't sleep tonight.
2: Us, uh, I will.
0: <laughs> all right, guys.
2: Also, uh, no Pandora in the UK, not that matters, no Pandora in the UK. Very disappointed to find out. Not allowed.
0: Ah, uh, that's that's rough.
2: be like why the Brexit happened, I don't know all
1: righty all right all right I'm we'll there.
0: enjoy uh, an open and uh we may talk to you guys on uh sunday or monday
1: sounds good thanks guys all right get thanks some guys. sleep sean all right you've been listening to the fried
2: egg podcast we do the digging for you